0: He looks like he's the type of person to be like, I have it and you're going to enjoy it. So yeah. I want to see if he has what he says he has.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, We're going along for that ride. <laughs>
2: From Rosemary's Baby and Regan McNeil, to Jason, Freddy, and Chucky, to Samara, Jigsaw, and Pennywise, we can't get enough. If it's blood-curdling, spine-tingling, breath-quickening, or soul-stealing, we are ready to watch it. Welcome to Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards. With me today are my two co-hosts, Ann Conley. Hey, guys. And Helen Stewart. Hello. All right, tonight we are reviewing the 1984 American fantasy comedy film Ghostbusters, produced and directed by Ivan Reitman and written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. Stars Bill Murray, Aykroyd and Ramis as Peter Venkman, Ray Stantz and Egon Spengler, eccentric parapsychologist who started ghost-catching business in New York City. Sigourney Weaver and Rick Moranis co-star as their client Dana Barrett and her neighbor Louis Tully. Ackroyd conceived Ghostbusters as a project for himself and fellow Saturday Night Live alumnus John Belushi, with the protagonist traveling through time and space. Ackroyd and Ramis rewrote the script following Belushi's death and after Reitman deemed Ackroyd's initial vision financially impractical. Filming took place from October 1983 to January 1984. Ghostbusters was released in the United States on June 8, 1984. When Ghostbusters came out, it received positive reviews and grossed $242 million in the United States and more than $295 million worldwide, making it the highest grossing comedy film of its time. All right, so when we get started, we usually go through what our expectations were going into the review. So, Anne, what were your expectations?
1: I was laughing about this one a little bit because I have a particularly unique experience with this one in the fact that the very first time I saw this movie was actually in a Pennsylvanian drive-in movie theater.
2: Cool. Oh. I was
1: actually in the back seat of a good old Buick station wagon with the wooden paneling and all, you know, family kids movie night. And you know, out there, you know, in like the summer air watching this, and I don't know how long it was in the theaters, so I don't know if I saw it that summer that it came out, obviously, I really would have been well, too young to know.
2: Well, how old were you?
1: I, I don't know I was a kid, okay <laughs> I mean, when you're a kid, you don't remember if you're you know four and seeing it or six and seeing it yeah, you weren't you
2: weren't like it like. A, like... Twelve or thirteen? No, right? no, okay. no, no!
1: Definitely single digits, and definitely old enough to be terrified. And uh, you know, I remember everybody, you know, ducking and hiding in the library ghost scene. You know, so it, it was pretty realistically scary. And then, interestingly enough, grew up watching this a lot on TV. So we actually had it recorded to the good old VHS, and we would watch that regularly. So when I went back and watched this later as an adult including this time rewatching is there are a lot more scenes than I remembered growing up with. Um, I had never even seen the entire intro when I was a kid, and to the fact that when I saw it as an adult, I was like, is this even the same movie? Wait a second, and there's cursing in this? (laughs) Because I had seen such a G-rated version of it. So anyways, a long-winded way of saying that I was really excited to see this again. Classic, comedy, everything about this, um, you know, just love. So I was very excited to see it again. Okay, Helen. So yeah, I saw this movie when I was younger. I
0: don't know exactly how old I was either. I would have been, my brother was three years older than me. So I feel like I probably saw it with him because he was old enough to see it at that time. But I remember being really scared by it, but loved the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. So I had a doll of that. Like a stuffed, a little stuffy, I guess, of him. And I would carry him around everywhere. But he wasn't the scary, sad, I don't know what what you would call that face at the end, but like he was the happy, stay puffed marshmallow man. Not the slightly crisped version. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I was really excited to see it again because I don't think I've seen it since I was a kid. Wow, really? Yeah. I think I miss it on TV or whatever.
2: Alright, so I have a very particular memory of Ghostbusters as well. I remember being in elementary school, and I must have been in kindergarten because there was a tv that was in the cafeteria of my elementary school and they showed like music videos i don't know like really sh- i don't think it was mtv i don't know what it was but they had the the ray parker jr theme on and it had clips of the movie in it and it had a, a clip of zool the you know the terror dog and I remember being like, holy moly. And, and even to this day, I'm wondering, well, how did they show that in elementary school? But um, <laughs> so I have that particular memory. And I think I saw that before I saw the movie. And I don't really remember the first time I saw the movie. But I know by the time that the cartoon came out, and then by the time the second Ghostbusters came out in 1989, me and my cousins were obsessed with Ghostbusters. We loved I had all the toys. We had all the toys, the proton packs, the traps. You know, the, the firehouse, the whole thing. And so Ghostbusters was a really, I guess, big part of my I guess, my childhood in the 80s. And then, uh, so I've seen this movie more. I didn't have to watch this movie for the rewatch. Um, it It's kind of etched into my brain, along with Star Wars and Indiana Jones. So I was very excited to do this movie. And in fact, the reason we are reviewing this movie is because the teaser trailer for Ghostbusters, the new Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 3, dropped last week. Uh, Ivan Reitman's son is going to be directing a new Ghostbusters movie in the original universe, unlike the uh, reboot in the the all-ladies version that came out a couple years ago. All right, Anne, with that, let's play the trailer.
1: All right, here we go. Trailer time and action.
3: Ghosts.
2: Hello, Ghostbusters.
3: They're real. You do? They're mean. You have? They're here. We got one! Ghostbusters.
2: Hey, anybody see a ghost?
3: They catch the ghost that won't stay dead. <gasps> They're armed. <laughs> Dangerous.
1: Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding
3: at the speed of light. All right, that's bad. Okay. Alright, important safety tip. Thanks, here They're professionals. Oh. I'm the chairman of the largest paranormal removal company in America. You see it? They're all that stands between you and the end of the world. The city is headed for a disaster of Biblical proportion. Real Wrath of God type stuff.
2: Fire and brimstone coming down from the sky. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together.
3: Fascistaria! Your girlfriend lives in the corner penthouse of Spook Central. you want this body? Is this a trick question? stick? Oh! Give him up! Smoke him! him hard! Ready! Ghostbusters, starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis. Ghostbusters. We came, we saw, we kicked it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: nice. Peter Venkman, Ray Stance, and Egon Spengler are scientists investigating the paranormal at Columbia University After they lose their jobs following a botched ghost investigation in the university library They establish Ghostbusters, a paranormal investigation and elimination service They open their business in a disused firehouse and develop high-tech equipment to capture ghosts
1: So when the movie opens up, we see really that kind of pixelated Columbia woman, right? Yeah and it was funny because we were started watching this, and sometimes, you know, we're so busy during the days, and a lot of us have kids, and we're running around, and it's hard to find time to sit down and watch these movies. And, you know, we finally settled down, and we turned it on. And as soon as she comes on and the music starts playing, I immediately started smiling. And it's, like, so classic. And just the movie, the soundtrack is so phenomenal throughout this And without even seeing anyone on the screen, without even getting into the movie, you already know what's coming with that quintessential sound that they have with that soundtrack.
2: I agree. I mean, the, the sound in this movie is iconic, almost as iconic, I think, as the actual movie itself. I also believe that if it didn't have this soundtrack, I don't think it would be... As good it's kind of like star wars if you didn't have john williams doing the sound it just wouldn't be star wars
1: it could very easily be pushed into the hokey realm you know we've joked before about going back and redoing the soundtrack to some 70s movies and some 80s movies and i think this is a perfect example if you just really have an amazing instrumental it gets really creepy i think that that's a perfect case for showing that if you just add the right soundtrack it can make or break a movie. Absolutely. I think along with the
0: soundtrack, we have the iconic New York library. So you have something that, you know, anybody who's on the East Coast near New York is very familiar with and recognizes.
2: Which, by the way, inside the library down in the stacks was not the actual library when they were filming. Oh, no. that was in California. It was in L.A. or somewhere, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: I remember going to New York and going by the library and just being really excited to see the lions out there. Yes. Yeah. Us too. Where did we go, last summer?
2: I believe so.
1: Yeah, it was my first time seeing the public library, too. Oh, really? And I
0: was like, oh, my gosh, the Lions, like, they really do exist. Yeah, yeah. I just—I guess you would have thought it was all, like,
1: fake. But when you get there, its it was pretty cool. It's like seeing a, a celebrity. People in New York are probably thinking, you idiots, you know, right, right now. Know. But it, it is weird, you know, when you're not from that area and you get to see something that's truly a set but, you know, real in real life. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah so one of the things I liked about the beginning of this movie is right off the bat you get this scene with Peter Vankman performing this you know scientific test with <laughs> yes. these two these two students you know the one's a guy and the one's a girl and you know he's just slimy as all get out it's immediately <laughs> really <is>. you're like <laughs> this guy's an ass but you know even to the point of invalidating his own scientific work because you know it, it After getting two shocks or three shocks, the guy gives the right answer. Right, I know. know, It's just so funny.
1: (laughs) It's like if you just gave that guy a chance, like he might not have gotten kicked out of the university. He's ignoring proving his own thesis out just so he can get in the girl's pants at the end of the day. And I love the fact, the more that you watch this movie, the more details you pick up on. Every time I watch this movie, I think I understand the directors and the writers a little bit more and all the way back to you open up the shot on his door right and there's the red paint on the door that says burn in hell dr vickman (laughs) yeah (laughs) right and then i for the first time ever i started really laughing at that because i was like it's so preposterous and over the top to think in A university, especially one as prestigious as Columbia, that a student would go out of their way to get red pinked and graffiti a professor's door, burn in hell, and that he left it there. Right. (laughs) He's like, (laughs) This is ridiculous. He must be really bad. And then there's the maid. Please clean this office. And you're like, did a student leave that? Or did Peter leave that? Yeah. You know, I'm not really sure. So I appreciated that that really mimicked his character's values in many ways. And I felt like... Just to even take it up one more level as we're talking about Peter um, and, of course, Bill Murray as an actor and as as a character. I was really surprised to see that Bill Murray (laughs) was not really involved in the writing of this. That it was Dan Aykroyd and um, Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis. Thank you. And it's sort of a perfect mirror to his character in this. Like, he wanted to participate and he's ad-libbing and he's funny throughout the whole thing. Like, he really carries so much of it. Like, he was so involved. But he was too lazy to do any of the actual work.
2: I agree. And in fact, you know, um, I had uh, watched a couple of videos on YouTube about the making of the movie. And um, Harold Ramis, you know, talks about how Aykroyd's original script, the three characters, the three Ghostbusters, are pretty indistinguishable. And so once they knew who was going to be playing them, once they knew Bill Murray was going to play one, Aykroyd was going to play one, and and Ramis was going to play one, you know, they differentiated the characters based then on the actor's strengths, right? Ah. So they said, oh, Egon's going to be the the smart guy because Harold Ramis is kind of the straight man. Man, you know, and Ackroyd is very sort of enthusiastic about the material because he himself is is all into the occult and everything as a person. And then, of course, Bill Murray is Bill Murray, right. and he's the mouth. And so they just gave him, you know, kind of license to do what he wanted to do within the the constraints of the of the plot. But but uh, I thought that was very interesting. Perfect. Yeah. So
0: I knew that they were going to have Eddie Murphy originally yes darker and i just like i love eddie murphy but it, it really would have been interesting to see how he would have done with yeah. that laugh you <laughs> <feel> like you <laughs> probably would have had a lot more laughter and maybe less of the the thriller part if he was involved but i, I thought it would have been fun to see him in there
2: yeah you do wonder what winston Zeddemore's character would have been had eddie murphy played him given that eddie murphy was so well known right around that time right and he had blown up And, you know, would he have demanded more screen time uh, and more being involved? I mean, watching it this time, and this isn't the first time I noticed this, but took kind of special notice of it this time. You can see that Ernie Hudson is sidelined through a lot of the shots. I mean, the way the shots are blocked is on the three guys. And then you have like Winston on the corner, Mm -hmm. sort of like there. And it's unfortunate to some extent. You watch it now and it seems, you know, because he's the only African-American and you have these three white guys, it, it seems a little crass almost. You know, if he'd have been just another white guy, it probably wouldn't have seemed that way. But it's unfortunate that he that his character didn't get as much um, play in the movie.
1: But I will say really quickly that the scenes he's in, he does a fantastic he job, does, doesn't yeah. he? And he, his
0: lines in that, I thought, were really kind of just profound. Yeah, like one line where he has, and I'm like, that was, it was amazing when he's with the mayor or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. few but powerful.
2: They go into the library and, of course, they go down into the stacks and then you see your first ghost. And uh, the one thing I had read that Hal Ramus said was, you know, they're re- when they're reacting, when they're scared and they run backwards and they, they leave, you know, there's just a guy with like a, a pole and it's like a purple light on it or whatever and, you know – they're reacting to nothing, and he was talking about kind of that way, that the effects in having to react to things and that sort of thing. And, and you know, it's, it's funny to watch that part because, I mean, I feel like you can see the ad-libbing going on with Aykroyd and, uh, and Bill Murray.
1: Oh my gosh, the ad-libbing throughout that scene was just non-stop. I mean, if you go back, you know, you have to push yourself to not look at the main person in the scene yeah. and look at the exchange of glances and, you know, who's twiddling their thumbs and right who's poking around on their calculator kind of in the background that type of thing. I, I mean, Bill Bill Murray throughout this movie does a fantastic job. They all do about having those secondary and third-level interactions, kind of creating right there's the foreground and the background in those scenes. I loved it. But one of the things I was also thinking about, as I noticed your point about that special effects, is for the first time, and really as we do this, we become better at analyzing and just thinking about films and how they're made in general as well. But the same idea that, okay, they're not, you know, there obviously isn't a ghost there. They're reacting to a special effect or probably right, just some dude holding a shaky cam type of thing. And, I mean, these guys and their reaction, their acting is so phenomenal. Right. I mean, they seem legitimately terrified. I mean, the way that, you know, their faces react and they run out of there and they kind of like shuffle fall over themselves backwards. It's not hokey at all. I mean, it's really well done. I
0: really enjoyed the whole slime. Like he gets, he sees the slime, he's trying to collect the slime, then he gets it on his hand. He's trying to wipe it on everything here. I'm going to wipe it on the car catalog, which, oh we had to explain that to my daughter because she was watching with us and I was like, you don't know what this is anymore. <laughs> like the Dewey Decimal system.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> did you try to explain or did you
1: just gloss I, over? I
0: said, this is how we used to use libraries. And then she was like, what?
1: <laughs> They're mini books, sweetie. Let's just leave it at that.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it was just really funny how he just wiped it on like any surface that he could and it was just like gross and, ugh. <laughs> and it flings
1: back in his face yeah. and he's like, no, I mean, really? and Yeah, you, you can just sense it that he's kind of going like, this is legitimately gross. I don't know what you made this mucus out of, but I do not want it on my <laughs> fingers. Get me out of here. So
2: priceless. Yeah, I think Bill Murray does a good job of kind of walking the line between having Peter Wakeman almost be like he doesn't want to be there. He does. He kinda he kinda has that in some of the scenes, but he Gives enough to Peter Venkman throughout the movie that you feel like he he's really friends with Ray and Egon, right? I mean that's one of the things that you don't really question that they're that they're actually friends on on some level, even though they're vastly different personality types, um, and that he ultimately wants to do the right thing, save the city, save the world type of idea, versus just sort of being a con man, which is kind of what you get the impression of at the beginning.
0: He's so skeezy. Like when he's the librarian's <laughs> on the table and he's like, are you on your menstrual cycle? And I was like, what purpose? What do you need to know that for? <laughs> like she's older, like so
1: skeevy.
3: <laughs> I'm a
1: doctor. Let me do my job. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's interesting because I feel like since we've really grown up with this movie that my relationships with those characters have evolved through the years as well. When I was a kid, I mean, most of it you don't even understand. You're just kind of going through and you laugh at some of the jokes and the special effects are scary. You know, when I was probably teenage and younger twenties, I despise Peter Venkman. Right, he was disgusting. He's hitting on these women, I like the winks and the glances and all this. And that. and now that I'm older, I adore him. I think it is hilarious, even when he's staring at the woman in like the mink shawl in the in the hotel and gives her like a little wink, like pauses to just like take it in. I mean, it's just. It, It just cracks me up, and I guess you just get to that point where you can appreciate him as a character and who he's supposed to be, and of course, the the other um, co-protagonists as well, and just their interactions. It's also beautifully woven together.
2: So they get kicked out of the university, and Bankman says, we're going to go into business for ourselves, and they have to get the money, so... They go in to get a third mortgage on Ray's house that his parents left him, which, by the way, we all think is the property we see in the Ghostbusters 3 teaser trailer that just dropped a week ago. You know, it's 19% or whatever, and they say that. But then Peter Bakeman says, the franchise rights alone will make us rich beyond our wildest dreams. And I had read that one of the original conceptions for the movie was that it was near future, and that there were already many Ghostbusters franchises in different cities that were fighting ghosts. So, you know, this is kind of a callback, I think, to that earlier, one of the earlier drafts of the story idea, um, which is cool. And I, I'm always question why they just didn't make another Ghostbusters movie with a different franchise in a different city. Seemed like an easy thing to do, but I don't know.
1: It's kind of what they did with the girls.
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought originally that's what they were going to do with the girls. Mm-hmm. That the girls were going to be in a different city and they were just going to, you know, the, the original, one or two of the original Ghostbusters would show up and like give them the packs and say, here, whatever. And, you or know. Or like a
1: training video. Oh my God, that would have been. Or whatever, or you that's know. In gold. Or like, or, <laughs> yeah. you know, 1980s Ve-
2: <laughs> training video. We yeah. choose you. Yeah, or Venkman calls them and says, hey, where's our money? Because they owe them a franchise oh, fee. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like all that would have <laughs> been really funny. But anyway.
1: The only other thing that I thought would be worth mentioning is just the special effects. I thought it was really cool when we learned how that they how they did the card catalog effect as well, so that they had actually inserted tubes into those card catalog drawers and blew wind or blue air through them. So those cards would come flying out. You know, you just got to give a great practical effects call out to, right, the books moving across, all these, you know, They have the practical, they sort of have some of the stop motion animation, I guess, with the ghost pulled in there, a lot of different things throughout it. But even the mucus included just a lot of these, you know, great practical effects that really make you feel like you're in the scene.
2: So they end up getting the firehouse, which iconic. Now I've been, I went up to see the firehouse a couple years ago and unfortunately it was under um, renovation and the entire front of it had scaffolding in front of it. So Uh. I couldn't really see it which was Not a worth bummer. a
1: picture, yeah.
2: Yeah, it was a bummer, but super iconic.
1: Maybe we'll have to make a special trip.
2: Yeah, yeah, we'll have to go up there and, and check it out.
0: Library and firehouse. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we went up, we can get to it in the review, but um, we've been up to see Dana Barrett's building and the church next to her building uh, and the uh, Tavern on the Green, the uh, restaurant, and, and kind of the different locations uh, right around there that you can see from the end of the movie. So, And that was awesome to see. That is
0: super cool.
2: On their first call at a hotel, Egon warns the group never to cross the energy streams of their proton pack weapons, as this could cause a catastrophic explosion. They capture the first ghost, Slimer, and deposit it in a special containment unit in the firehouse. As paranormal activity increases in New York City, they hire a fourth member, Winston Zeddemore, to cope with the demand.
0: I thought it was hilarious that they had already used these proton packs, right? And now he's telling him, like, everybody, like, don't cross the paths. Oh, yeah. I was
1: like, this is kind of late information, dude. <laughs> and that's totally Egon, too. Like, we said, he's just such a straight guy. Like, oh, and by the way, <laughs> you know, don't cross the streams. What? Yeah, just like the, the trailer says, right? Imagine every particle in your right. body spontaneously combusting. No big deal, but just by the way. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, one of the best scenes in the movie in my opinion is the elevator scene where they're going up the elevator and they have the packs on and they're like we've never really successfully tested these things and yet they're wearing them and then and then uh, Peter turns on Ray's pack and you hear the iconic sound of the pack warming up and then Peter moves and p- pushes Egon kind of out of the way so they can get away from Ray's pack in case it explodes. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing's just great. And of course, then they get out of the elevator and they pull their proton packs and uh, blast the poor maids, you know, cart. Hilarious.
0: That was hilarious. I also like the guy before they go up the elevator where they're like, well, what's going on? It's like, oh, we're just exterminating. Exterminator. <laughs> so it must be a big rat or whatever. Giant
2: rat. Giant cockroach. Bite your head off, man. Like, I could quote this movie. I apologize. Um, You know, I will say on that point, uh, one of the things that Harold Ramis brought to the movie, like I said before, Dan Aykroyd's a big occultist, you know, in real life. And so his movie was very kind of heavily um, supernatural laden, you know. And Harold Ramis brought this sort of more scientific approach to it. And one of the things he liked was that the supernatural in the movie is treated not religiously. Right. Not, not they don't really talk about the ghosts in a way you would talk about like, you know, dead people, I guess, or whatever. Yeah,
1: that's totally true. It's not yeah. like an incarnation of a particular person. Yeah, it's not or treated
2: that way. that way. It's all treated yeah. very scientific. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um and so they treat it like almost like they're exterminators. You know what I mean? They're just providing a service.
1: I remember feeling a lot of mixed emotions about the maid scene because, like, I want to laugh, but I think I just feel really bad for that maid.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, on multiple levels. First, you could have killed her. Second of all, you just zapped up all of her nice little TP rolls. Like, I know. now she's got to clean that up. She's Thanks like a picking lot, them guys. up, and I was like, go over there and help her out. <laughs> yeah. And they're on fire. I like, know. they're what all is charred. <laughs> Oh, man, she's going to get charged for that. The she poor was cute. Is, I thought that was funny. Barely make a minimum wage. She's going to have that taken out of her paycheck. Thanks a lot, guys. It's, oh, man. Wait, wait we we got to talk about the scene in the hotel when, you know, they're pricing it out at the end, when they're asking oh, him how yeah. much to charge.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. So they're, yeah, they're. I don't know if you caught it, Helen, but when they're talking about how much to charge, Egon is, you know, pushing his glasses up with the fingers and he, in the number of thousands of dollars oh. that they should be charging. He's telling Peter what to charge. Oh, I as missed he that. Yeah, yeah I did that.
1: Yeah, so you've got to go back and watch it. You don't catch it at first because Peter's going, well, is it Peter writing? Oh, yes. Yeah, it's he Peter. starts, starts the pen. off at like 1,000 or something yeah. and then he goes up to 4,000. He, he looks over at Egon. Yeah, and Egon has these four fingers. He's like oh, yeah. pushing, his oh, yeah, face pushing his face and yeah. adjusting his glasses. And, you know, it. yeah, so they have this little kind of ball game, you know, catcher-pitcher. Um, that's awesome. I, yeah. yeah, I'll definitely have to go back and look at that again. Yeah,
0: it's yeah. very cute. You
2: know, the one thing that's funny about Of course, the whole setup is that they do so much damage when they're trying to catch these ghosts. that, In reality, they would never be able to run a business. Right. Because you would go into a house and you would destroy it in the process of catching the ghost. So the premise is ridiculous sort of on its face. And they just sort of gloss right over it. Well, whatever.
0: The whole Like they're setting up for some sort of function. And that's just like, yeah, 15 minutes. Just give us 15 minutes. I'm like, you're going to need like a couple of weeks to
1: renovate that again. Oh, my gosh. And that chandelier coming down. Oh.
2: Yeah, now, so, uh, like I said, I'm a little bit of a Ghostbusters geek. So there was a video game, and I think it came out in 2009, which is the unofficial but kind of official third story to this Ghostbusters universe. Uh, All the original cast came back and did the voices for it, uh, and the story was written by Dan Aykroyd and um, Harold Ramis before he passed away. And so in... In that story, it takes place in nineteen ninety one or ninety-two, they are employees of the city. They have a city contract to go out and catch ghosts. So in a way, it makes more sense. Like they had their they're almost like given their destruction is sort of paid for by the city. Um so it, it makes more sense from a business perspective, but just a little interesting point uh, there.
1: Taxpayer funds
2: at good work. Yeah, I guess. All right, real quick about Slimer. Slimer, of course, doesn't have the name Slimer in this movie. He's not given that name until the uh, cartoon comes out. But he really represents in the movie John Belushi.
1: Oh, really? Yes. Oh. Yep. So, he also found that fun fact. Yeah. Oh, so, I didn't know that. It was a... So you learned something like new Like a tribute day. to him. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a tribute. Yeah. fat green ghost. Congratulations.
2: Yep. Who, of course, <laughs> is always eating and always drinking. And, you know, Aww. John Belushi had a bit of a, a substance abuse-ish problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of a callback to, to that as well.
1: Do you guys remember the green ecto-cooler?
2: Yes.
0: I was going to yeah. say that as well. Boxes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes! Because
2: I felt like we had so such good. a, uh,
0: I don't know, a close relationship with Slimer. And then I'm like, this. I didn't feel it in this movie. I forgot it was only in the cartoon. Yes.
1: I And I remember, you know, again, when I was an adult and watched this for the first time after a while, um, same exact feeling where you're like, wait, I thought Slimer was like our bud. Right. And then you watch it, you're like, no, he's just some weird ghost we barely know in this movie Um, so yeah they almost like adopt him as a pet in the cartoon and then he's always hanging around he's part of the gags and stuff like that so but that's okay he still holds a special place in her heart and
0: that cooler box that
1: I used to get
2: during (laughs) summer
0: camp (laughs) thanks for showing me that picture
1: (laughs) brings back good memory We'll, we'll post it to the feed classic
2: The Ghostbusters are retained by cellist Dana Barrett, whose apartment is haunted by a demonic spirit, Zul, a demigod worshipped as a servant of Gozer the Gozerian, a shape-shifting god of destruction. Venkman competes with Dana's neighbor, accountant Louis Tully, for her affections. As the Ghostbusters investigate, Dana is possessed by Zul, the gatekeeper, while Louis is possessed by her counterpart, Vince Clortho, the key master. Both demons speak of the coming of Gozer, the destructor, and the release of the imprisoned ghosts. The Ghostbusters take steps to keep the two apart.
1: So Venkman's competing with Louis Tully for yeah. Dana's affections? I don't really I don't think
0: so. Mm-hmm. I
2: don't. I'm pretty sure she doesn't want either of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she. How many times do you need to say no? Oh
2: yeah, I was. I was <laughs> gonna say the whole scene with him when he goes to check her out or check out her apartment. Right. Is very uncomfortable. Yes. Um, I was like
0: that. Kind of was definitely. I think nowadays you would not get that in a movie. It's definitely crossing a line.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's some creeper in there.
0: <laughs> the eggs were great, though.
1: To say I love the frying eggs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that effect as well is so amazing.
2: Oh right?
3: yeah.
1: As I understand it, the way that they actually did that effect is they legitimately heated up that entire countertop. So those are actual real eggs actually being heated up on a hot countertop to the point that they are bubbling and popping out of their shells. That is cool. Does that blow your mind? Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you kind of wonder how they did that. And in modern day, they'd be like, oh, we'll CGI and we'll animate it. it's like, no, that's like a legitimate effect. They really did that. That's yeah. so cool. It did make me laugh when um, he comes back and he's checking out the eggs, and she's like, "Aren't you going to check the fridge?" And, I, and I'm like, "Chill out, one step at a time, lady." He will get to the fridge. It's just looking at the eggs. Were they cooked? He you did know? pick up an egg. <laughs> we got the Stay Puff Marshmallows right there on the countertop, you know, yep. which also notably, you know, did not melt or fry or anything. So clearly a very effective heating mechanism. However, they contain that very cool. But um yeah, that even though I say I sort of adore Venkman in this movie, that is definitely the one scene where you're kind of like wiping off the grease. You're just like, Oh, <laughs> you know, um, you know, oh that's the bedroom, but nothing ever happened in there. Hmm, that's a crime. <laughs> yeah. You're like, ew. Yeah.
2: Although although I do like the part where she calls him on the on the equipment, she's like, you know, are you using that thing correctly? Yeah. And do Bill, you even know how to use that yeah, thing? And Bill Murray's perfect. He goes, Well, I well I well Certainly, sir, there's nothing in your refrigerator. You know what I mean? Like, it's so good. So good. Or he goes, I think so. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think
0: so. I thought it just looked like the little thing that the guy walks around outside with the like extermination. Yeah. yeah the it's little like, spring
1: he doesn't explain what it does at all like
0: he, just
2: he doesn't know what it pop does in
1: the no and i know and i'm like why would egon or anybody give him that thing without explaining like oh this is how you operate it, or this but what... he probably just grabbed it like well, yeah, yeah. yeah. you would have grabbed a cooler tool than that it's I just it's like a pipe <laughs> or something yeah the way i imagine it's working is like it intakes the air and it's doing readings yep of the that's air. what i would assume yep
2: that's i don't know
1: <laughs> that's all i got that's all i got um, so it is, is it in this section too where, you know, of course she's taken by Zool with a chair effect?
2: Yeah. Let, let's go with that.
1: Yeah. We can jump around a little bit, but yeah, just another really cool effect with all the hands coming out of the chair. Yes. Woo! That was super cool. Creepy.
2: A little, yeah. ha- little handsy. I want to be that guy that basically. Got the crotch shot. C- crotch to chest yeah, shot Yeah. I'm wondering
1: there.
0: if that was Peter Venkman. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Probably. <laughs>
1: Yeah and then like you kind of uh, appreciate whether it's like sort of the muppetry going on but then of course the whole chair moves forward and there're different shots so no doubt you know they probably yeah. had people and had hands doing it and then they turn around from the back and do but still just you know sort of the one cut to to another yeah ooh
2: well that, that, was, that was probably the scariest um, scene in the movie, I think, because she's sitting there and then she hears something and looks over and it has the the, the terror dog's face pressing into the into the door very nightmare on Elm Street, right? right yeah. Effect. Mm-hmm. I did. Uh, you know, yeah. and then the hands come out and then she goes into the into the kitchen. And I think that's a legitimately scary. Yeah, you know, that one scene. was a
1: little creepy. Yeah, that one. I mean, I still have to give a shout out to the librarian ghost a jump scare scene. I still remember, speaking of stories, um, when we were later, we were probably about 10. We still, of course, had it on the VHS at that point because you keep those suckers around forever. And we invited our neighbor over. And she was probably, oh, I don't know, five years old or something like that. And we, you know, the parents are outside like doing gardening or rowing the lawn or whatever. I remember it being a hot summer day. Sat her down, had her watch that. And even we you know, would hide our eyes until maybe like a year or two before that. And we were like, no, 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 it'll be fine. It's not scary. That poor little girl went screaming, crying, <laughs> running out of that household straight back to her mom. We had to apologize. We had traumatized her so badly, exposing uh-huh. her to that librarian scene. <laughs> so that gets, you know, a bit of a shout out too. Yeah. I mean,
2: I think it, I think it's probably scarier to, um to, kind of younger kids because ultimately it's played for humor, the humor effect of them running away and then running, you know, running down right. the stairs of the library. Right. Like this was straight, like scary all the way through. It was supposed to be sort of stressful and, and scary.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because as a kid, I didn't find that scene scary. As a kid, you're kind of like, oh, whatever, you know, like demon hands come out and take her. So, you know, you just find different things realistically scary as an adult versus a kid differently. I'd
0: have to say something about her hair so 80s oh yeah her hair and the other fellow cellist hair her like i guess he was interested in her i'm not really sure if that was a love interest but yes he just sat annoyingly in the courtyard or whatever
2: yeah well you get yes, the the, the, you,
1: the mullet yes yeah yeah that was great and and um the wardrobing is great yes well. the wardrobe was really great
2: well you you get the impression that um in the second movie he's who she marries um, and that's who the father of the baby is in the second movie. Is, oh, you is that know, cellist.
1: I wasn't quite sure if it was him or not. I guess well, I you just don't didn't you don't really that. well, you
2: don't really know. I mean, I don't think it's ever technically spelled out that it's that that person, but it is somebody in the music uh, world sure. that ends that, believing.
1: I w- I would just you know, having been in the music world a bit for a while, I would say it's probably more likely a conductor <laughs> than like a fellow cellist or so, something like that.
2: So I will tell you what I thought. Very briefly, the timelines don't match up, but I thought was a cool idea was if the baby from the second movie had been her and Lewis Tully's baby from when uh. they have sex as as the Keymaster and the Gatekeeper, <laughs> Keymaster Gatekeeper. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh.
0: <laughs>
2: so you know that would have been interesting because then that baby would have been would have been conceived as like a kind of supernatural right. sort of thing, but the timeline doesn't match up. It's five years later, and the baby's like one year old. So.
1: That would have been interesting and gross. Yes.
2: Well, yeah. But they never address the fact that they sleep together. No. Like, never. I'm not even sure they know. Well, they're possessed. So. Yeah, I don't know that they know, but his Aww. pants his it, pants are unbuckled. You would Moranis.
1: think It's like the zip code rule. You know, uh, possession falls under the same umbrella. It doesn't count.
2: I guess, yeah. <laughs> oh, God.
0: Something like that. That'll be the new running uh, theme for people
1: (laughs) 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 who are young
2: trying
0: to have
1: sex. I I, was possessed.
0: I was possessed. (laughs) I don't
1: know. I was the key master. I was listening to Hilltop Horror, and they said, uh, but anyways, I mean, (laughs) and then you kind of wonder, how would that play into the rules, right? Well, you know, if you're a virgin, if you're you're possessed, you're not really under your own you know. Right state of mind. So I think you get a pass on that one is all I'm saying.
2: Sure. you Are saying Louis Tully was a virgin? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs>
1: oh, obviously. I wouldn't. I wouldn't yeah. I, I,
0: I think it's a possibility. Hey, I, I don't
2: know. He, at that party, he had that buxom blonde he was he dancing did, with. He did, yeah. I'm just saying. She, God, he, he's he, so, I didn't realize he was that tiny. He has a little bit of game, mm-hmm. I think.
0: I,
1: turtlenecks.
2: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's... Well, it's funny because he's actually left over from the 70s, right? Like, he's like a guy who never came out of disco in the 70s. Right. I and mean, this is 1984. It was filmed in 83, 84, right? So mm. that's kind of where it's coming from. I mean, for, for from our perspective, that timeline is probably pretty compressed. You know, we kind of see all of that as generally the same time period, but it really is not, I don't think.
0: I thought that it was interesting with the two possessions that she's this— made up so i guess as a possessed person you can put on your sparkly makeup with this glittery gown and then he's this stunned like so they still like yeah disheveled like i'm just trying to find whatever it was just like it was interesting how they didn't have two intellectual possessions it was one stunned shocked guy and then like she's all
1: miss sexy following like the endorphins to where the gatekeeper is yes meanwhile she's had time to like go down to Sax Fifth Avenue buy herself a shimmery little <laughs> one thing Can't get her makeup done.
2: Yeah, I mean you kind of wonder not to get too much into the mythology of it, but you kind of wonder if Zul possessing her as a very intelligent person then is sort of an intelligent possession and poor Vince Clortho is possessing <laughs> this guy who's eh, doesn't have it all kind right. of together and so ends up being sort of like somewhat of a half wit or if Vince Clortho as a spirit is just a freaking half wit and possesses Lewis Tully and it's like double down on that deal I'm not sure I will say though that Sigourney Weaver is prototypical 80s to me I mean it's sort of androgynous tall skinny you know what I mean that was considered very attractive in the early 80s and definitely not my not my not type. Your cup of not tea. my thing. Yeah. Sexy. I thought
0: Sigourney Weaver looked lovely when she wasn't shimmered and possessed. Yeah. I thought She looked lovely, shimmered, and without. yeah, she. Yeah, I just. I you know, I thought she looked. More, I don't know, prettier, just not more natural. But like, yeah, she did look good. Yeah, the bronzer was a little intense. Yes. I'm not gonna lie. Not as bad as Orange March, but.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I will say, you know, sort of certainly as a kid, I was a little confused about, you know, these guys being possessed. I mean, you get the cool idea of, uh, you know, the key master and the gatekeeper, even though, you know, sort of the sexual analogy is lost on you as a child. But um, and then that they're referencing the coming of Gozer. You're like, but why do all these pieces need to be in place? Sort of, you know, not understanding that. And even even now, you just kind of accept it. You go, oh, yeah. You know, I guess they're the demons that help open the gate and kind of help power and create this trilogy. Is that how you guys interpret it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think what you don't understand is why now, right? There's no really understanding of why all of the sudden Zool and Vince Clortho can come out as these terror dogs. You know, that their statues kind of fall apart mm-hmm. and they're in there. And then they go and possess two people. And why at this particular moment in time, they never really addressed that. But I guess, yeah, they had to have use their energy to open the gate. That's the whole point, right?
1: Um, I do remember as a kid also, those um, the terror dogs. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. Now I watch it, and I'm like, ooh, that's one of the worst effects in the movie. Yeah, the little glowing eyes thing. Yeah, and like, again, that's probably claymation laid over the scene yeah. type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's really roughly done. I mean, our TVs have gotten so much more powerful. You know, back in the day when you were watching your 24-inch CRT, it looked phenomenal. Now we've got these huge, you know, 60-plus-inch 4K TVs, and you can really see the rough edges around the terror dogs and stuff like that. So, unfortunately, I think that detracts a little bit from the movie. They might be able to go back and remaster it and clean it up a little bit it would be interesting. Um So... That took down the the scary factor for me a little bit this round.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, The other thing I want to point out about the scene with Dana Barrett in her apartment when uh, Peter Vankman shows up is this is the scene where you really um, get to see Peter Vankman show his heroic side, I guess, if you will, or restraint or his humanity. I mean, she's basically saying, hey, have sex with me. And, you know, he's jokingly saying, oh, yeah, no, no, I can't, you know. Oh, I want to, but no, no, you know. But ultimately, you know, he... um, you know, he mans up and says, you know, no, I'm not going to do it. I don't think he had any intention of doing it, to yeah. be honest with you, really.
0: Know. He kisses her clavicle, and I thought that was, like, that's not... Too, that's too far? <laughs> well, like, kiss her cheek, not her neckle neck-el region, is what I was <laughs>
3: going
0: <laughs> to say. <laughs> <laughs> neckle ne- region. <laughs> yeah. I just thought, like, with the way that although, gown was, like, uh, just a little, a little too close to... All,
2: although, I will say, you do have to ask, why did he have the Thorazine? <laughs> right that he that he uses he to knock her out like
1: tranquilizers around Well, that's what i was gonna dancers. say like
2: she probably didn't have thorazine like right. he calls egon and says you know i knocked her up with x amount of cc's of thorazine she'll be asleep for a while like did he bring that to the date
1: well it's sort of like how can that. a cellist in the new york symphony afford a penthouse apartment in this apartment building, there are certain rent, things rent control. You just gloss over. You just <laughs> just go with it because it was in the most
0: paranormal like region of the building. She probably got a discount, right? And they say it was sure. like increased psychic stuff there.
2: Now, do, do you know how she afforded it? She afforded it because that building actually goes up to 19 floors, mm-hmm. and uh, the other ones don't exist. So that's how she that's how she afforded it. In reality, the building only goes up to 19 floors.
0: What floor was she supposed to? 22nd? be? Twenty second. Oh,
2: she was on twenty two. So, and then, but apparently, the building actually has some weird temple-looking, yeah, you know, thing at the top of it in reality, uh, as well as oh, obviously, really? of cor- obviously, of course, that they built that whole thing in the uh, in the movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. really interesting.
2: Walter Peck, an Environmental Protection Agency lawyer, has the Ghostbusters arrested for operating as unlicensed waste handlers. He orders their ghost containment system deactivated, causing an explosion that releases all the ghosts. The ghosts wreak havoc throughout the city. Consulting blueprints of Dana's apartment building, the Ghostbusters learn that a mad doctor and cult leader, Evo Shandor, declaring humanity too sick to exist after World War I, designed the building as a gateway to summon Gozer and bring about the end of the world.
1: Jeez. Okay. Well, <laughs> so the one thing that I thought was funny too, a sort of coming of age theme running throughout this is our, you know, good old buddy Walter Peck at the EPA. And here I am, you know, totally, you know, we were just talking about this. We grew up in the era with Captain Planet and Fern Gully and all these very environmental, so super pro environment. Fern Gully. And, right? I, I didn't know. remember that. Fern Gully. Oh man, I remember them all. Don't, don't you worry. <laughs> uh, Free Willy, the whole, the whole batch. And so I have, you know, always loved the EPA and what they stand for. And when you go back and you watch it again, you understand that Walter Peck is from the EPA and he's shutting them down because he's concerned with about what this is doing to the environment, basically. You're like, what the heck? Why are you such an asshole?
2: Well, you know, there's a there's actually an entire political viewpoint this movie has. And I never picked it up, obviously as a kid, and just recently sort of understood it, which is this is a libertarian movie. All the bad organizations in this movie are liberal organizations, right? They get kicked out of the university, which is a liberal organization mm-hmm. typically, right? Yeah, sure. Um, they go into business for themselves.
1: Right. Right. Cap- the capitalist. Boot, capitalists.
2: capitalist bootstrapping yep. their thing, right? Whatever. American it, dream. Yep, American dream. And then the government comes in and shuts them down, mm-hmm. right? The EPA, the regulations and all this stuff comes in and messes it all up.
1: And the governor mayor is an asshole too
2: well yeah well and then they then the mayor has to come to them to say how do i save the city and then they the entrepreneurs who have perfected this new technology of course save the city so it's really a screed against um sort of liberal government overreach
1: and get stiffed with a bill in the end
2: yeah well the second movie yeah sure they do (laughs) yeah yeah so this is the part of the movie where we get the most mythology, I guess, about what's going on, Evo Shandor and the cult leader. And this is where I really felt like the movie uh, put aside its comedy for a moment, right? And actually sort of embraced the supernatural kind of ghost story that it was supposed to be and sort of the epicness that the end of the movie kind of brings to it. Up to this point, it was a little light on some of that, I felt like.
0: Yeah, I agree. I wish that I like. I didn't pick up too much on what he was saying, probably because I was watching it with kids. And
1: well, it's really glossed over in the movie,
0: right? So I felt like I didn't hear it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think that this movie coming out, of course, it's a comedy first and foremost. And it has some elements of world building in it, but not many. It's, it's very bare bones. I mean, you don't understand how the technology works, really. You just accept it. You don't really understand where the ghosts come from. You just accept it. You know, where, why ghosts are at this point in time? You just accept it, right? All those things you kind of accept. But I do think that, you know, Ghostbusters 3 that's coming out here, the, the, the all-female Ghostbusters that came out a couple years ago, I don't know that moviegoers will accept that thin layer of world building anymore. I think that with an intellectual property such as Ghostbusters, I think that they require more world building a a la Harry Potter and Star Wars and, you know, all those franchises that exist. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how they tackle that going forward.
1: I was wondering the same thing. Is it just because this movie is what it is and we don't care, right, that we just love it that much? And, you know, again, the comedy more than makes up for it, the acting more than makes up for it. You know, just since we're all, you know, 80s kids that we love it that much that we don't care. I mean, it is it is interesting when you think about like even Annihilation, right? It was almost like you get a lot of that pushback about why or where did it come from or what was its mission or, or this and that. And here you're like, it doesn't matter. It's no. like a bunch of guys running around chasing ghosts and we're totally cool with it.
2: No, I agree. I think the cartoon actually has a lot to do with Ghostbusters staying power, especially as kids of the 80s. Because you the first movie... I'm not even sure I saw the first movie before I actually saw the cartoon. I'm not entirely sure. So, you know, seeing the first movie, having the cartoon, which does deepen the mythology a little bit. I mean, they do have specific kind of some rules that they establish within the cartoon that they kind of go by, um, which are a little deeper than the movie kind of lets on. You know, so you kind of have that foundation. So I think, you know, this movie being the first movie, just like with Nightmare on Elm Street, right? I mean, we went back and, and reviewed Nightmare on Elm Street, and... It has nowhere near the amount of mythology that eventually Freddy Krueger has, right? His house isn't even in that movie, and his house becomes a key point, you know, in the other movies. So in the same way, I think we forgive that in Nightmare on Elm Street because it's the first one, in the same way that we forgive it with Ghostbusters because it's the first one. The Ghostbusters are released from custody to battle the supernatural crisis. On the apartment building roof, Zool and Vince open the gate between dimensions and transform into supernatural hellhounds gozer in the form of a woman is attacked by the team gozer vanishes but demands that the ghostbusters choose the form of the destructor ray inadvertently recalls a beloved corporate mascot from his childhood and gozer appears as the giant stay puffed marshmallow man that attacks the city the ghostbusters cross their proton pack energy streams and fire them at gozer's portal the explosion closes the gate destroys stay puffed and banishes gozer back to its dimension the ghostbusters rescue dana and lewis and are welcomed on the streets as heroes
1: All right, the finale. Here we go. You know, I love that Gozer is in the form of a woman. I mean, that's that was
0: cool, shocking.
2: Once again, tall, androgynous.
1: She was very
0: androgynous,
2: but
1: her outfit was
0: tall, skinny. Yeah. She was definitely thin. Oh,
2: yeah, I guess thin makes her look tall. I don't really know how tall her, she was. Yeah. Her <laughs> yeah.
0: outfit was definitely something else.
1: Oh yeah. 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 The whole effect of that stage was great. Again, yes. it felt very almost like Prince esque to me. Right? Yes, we got it the did. fog. We got the triangles. We got the lighting. Well, <laughs> she gave a guitar. She'd be good to go. Do some <laughs>
0: little purple rain there.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally agree. And this is the part, of course, when they do the callback from the beginning where uh Venkman's like, Go get her, Ray. You know, it was just a callback to Ray saying "Get her" when he with the librarian ghost, um, and of course you get the Ray rattling off his whole thing about being a duly designated representative of humanity, <laughs> basically, right? And and goes or asks him if, if he's a god, and he says no. Um, in the in the whole interaction, the whole interaction with Noon vankman and Ray stands, and you know, Bakeman's down all on uh, lower on the stairs, and Ray keeps on looking back to him, and 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 Bakeman's giving him like you know the thumbs up or the whatever you know the encouragement. It's just so funny. And then one of Winston's best lines, of course, is if someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs>
1: yeah, I is, just like that, line which is awesome. Too. <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, I like how Winston's you know one of the only ones with any common sense. <laughs> yeah, I, <know. laughs> I also loved you know a line I didn't get when I was a kid is it's Miller time. You know, once they bust the ghost.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, the beer. Yeah. yeah. It's Miller time. Yeah. It's Miller time. Which which by the way is interesting because I didn't realize there was like Budweiser promotions in the movie. They're drinking Bud like a bunch oh, in the yeah. movie. With like Cheese oh, Its.
3: it's a very specific
2: Cheez-Its. scene with Ray and, and Egon like sitting there, like basically showing off these product placements as they're as they're talking.
1: I know. I love our eighties films with the product placements. I'm totally obsessed. Yeah,
2: or like the Coke cans in the um in the refrigerator and Dana Barrett's yes, refrigerator, cocaine, right? Because they
0: were not like, first of all, who doesn't put their Coke cans on the same shelf? <laughs> like, you're not going to have them yeah. on different shelves. So it was like, if you didn't see it on the top shelf, we got it in the middle too. <laughs> yeah.
1: Dana Barrett, apparently. All we were missing was the no dose. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> in and, the
0: fridge. And the so many cups of coffee. <laughs>
1: I enjoyed the um, the arrival of
0: Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man because you just hear him coming and they're like, who picked? Who picked the, the demon that's coming after us? And like <laughs> he's like, I picked the most innocuous thing I could think of and it's this huge <laughs> stable marshmallow man. And then he makes a little baby face where he's like upset, like ah. But I felt yeah. I felt that
1: he kinda died pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, I you just the whole became whole thing this mo- mo bad. Bad.
1: Yeah, like I wish that there was a little bit more of, of a battle, I guess. But it was interesting because you kind of think about logically, like, you can blank out your binds, but at some point you have to pick something. Right. You know, Gozer's got no place to go. If you don't choose something, Gozer's going to choose something for you. All right. right. And then I always thought, wow, you know, how convenient that they chose a flammable material. Yeah. Right? you were like well thank god you chose a giant marshmallow dude and you've got proton packs and you can set this thing on fire and it basically melts like next time you know make sure you're choosing something out of yeah another flammable material or ice or some some <laughs> material you can basically just melt because if that thing was you know a flying hydra or some shit you would have been <laughs> in real trouble yeah
2: yeah yeah you know it's funny because uh when when state Puff of course burns up and then on the ground you see walter peck standing next to the ecto-1 and all that marshmallow kind of lands on him apparently the actor when they told him they're going to dump 150 uh, gallons or 150 pounds or something like that of marshmallow on him he was god it wasn't marshmallow. i'm sorry it was whipped cream Um, shaving cream shaving cream i'm sorry shaving cream yeah 150 pounds of shaving cream (laughs) on him yeah he was like no i'm not doing that he's like do it to a stuntman first they did it to the stuntman and it like knocked him on the ground. And they're like, Yeah, maybe we don't have to use this much. So yeah. they decided not to use this much. Uh, and actually, uh, you know, the actor that played Walter Peck did it. So it was funny.
0: Yeah, I just kind of thought, I look, you look at Dana when she's coming down, you're just like, Oh, girl, how are you going to get out of your hair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was more concerned of like, and I know it was shaving green, but like when you're looking at it as a marshmallow, you're just like, This is such a bad
1: substance. Yeah, her <laughs> I mean, 2 She's got a baby and no hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she cut it off.
2: Yeah, I mean, honestly, it didn't look like marshmallow to me. It I did. mean, yeah. it, it looked like whipped cream. I mean, you wouldn't even be able to, with that much, you'd have a problem moving. I mean, it would be so sticky. Yeah. And you'd be so, like, gummed up, and it would be crazy. Although, I mean, once again, I don't know who made this decision. I don't know if it was made during the the writing process or if it was made, like, on set during the day. But the idea that Peter Vakeman is the only guy who doesn't have marshmallow on him right is that bill murray being like no 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 you're not putting that crap he doesn't
0: have a pretty face like, right he could have just
2: but i'm just saying is, is that him saying no and it was so funny because obviously yes he's the guy who doesn't get anything yeah on him. i
1: love it i love it yeah he comes down. he doesn't he has like a speck of it on him and yeah. everybody's covered it in it yeah. yeah and bill murray exactly our very high maintenance white glove you know actor and participant throughout this movie yep yeah, comes down perfectly clean he's like Hey, guys, what's up? Like, it looks like he wasn't even part of the battle. <laughs> yeah. Don't ruin the moment, Ray, with it going on about not looking like Marshmallow, though. I, I still want to believe. <laughs> yeah, that's okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of one of my favorite scenes or parts of the scene uh, at, at the end there is when um, uh, Ray Stance is like, uh, oh, it smells like, you know, burnt dog hair. And he's like, oh, Vakeman, I'm sorry. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. And they, like, pan from Vakeman who has no... Marshmallow, marshmallow on him, and they pan over, and Ray's just kind of standing there, and he kind of looks all sad, and but his whole lower face is like covered; you can't even <laughs> see his mouth really. And it's just—I don't know—it's just so funny, and it and it kind of solidifies, you know, Ray's character as the kind of the heart of the Ghostbusters, if you will. And it's, just, it's so good. The other part I thought was funny was, of course, at the, at the very end, you know, they're taking lewis Tully down, you know, from the top, and uh, you know, Egon's like, uh, "We want to take a." sample of your brain tissue, and he's like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. Like, what <laughs> Louis telling? <laughs> All right, well, before we get to the ratings, I just want to ask you, ladies, do you believe in ghosts? And uh, Have you ever seen a ghost?
0: So I went on a ghost hunting tour mm-hmm. at Fort Delaware. It's a Civil War, um, like, battle place, or, like, Fort. Mm. This was a couple of years ago. It was me and a, a group of people, so we walked around. We had not technical video cameras and recorders and stuff. They like there was some stuff that happened there that I can't explain and it was super cool. So I never I have not seen a ghost, but I've been in the presence of ghostly activity that I cannot explain. So I I
1: I have to say I believe.
2: Oh cool. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Very and, interesting.
2: And
1: Wow, man, I wish I was part of like a paranormal research company or something like that too, but <laughs> well, um what, what I would say is I actually grew up in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is considered a very haunted area. Actually, a lot of M. Night Shyamalan's movies were actually filmed right um, near my home, right in that area. And similarly, right, we would always tell ghost stories and go out. And right there is um, all the haunted local haunts that, you know, you would go at midnight on a full moon or this and that. And what I would say is, no, I, I don't believe I've ever seen a ghost but the closest I've ever come, which is, oh, it's like giving me chills just thinking about it, is I'm trying to remember the movie where um I can't remember if it's the conjuring, where they talk about the the black um, entity standing at the end of your bed, the black entity being in in the room and basically haunting children, type of thing. And I would say that's that's the closest to feeling like I had seen something and felt something as a child. You know, certainly throughout life, you see weird things here or there or sounds or, you know, I I think a lot of it's just nerves kind of getting to us. But I am a big believer in like, you know, positive energies versus negative energies and burning sage and that type of thing to just kind of, you know, cleanse properties. But um, I do believe there are entities out there. I don't think that they necessarily take the form in, you know, a traditional human ghost form.
2: Gotcha. As you know, Ghostbusters is a big part of my childhood. So I would have said I believed in ghosts uh, when I was young. Now pushing 40, uh, I have a lot of questions about whether or not ghosts or what people experience, the phenomena they experience, is actually supernatural or some other phenomena that they're they're experiencing. Um, I will say that the most unsettling experience I think I've had, um, not to to say that it was supernatural, but... Uh, there was a summer where I spent uh, by myself, and I was sick, and I had gone to sleep, and I was having like a nightmare, and there was this tremendous thunderstorm outside, and I don't know what combination of me having a dream and this lightning strike and thunderclap that sound like sounded like the universe was being ripped open, and for the rest of the summer, I could not sleep. I had to have the TV on. I had to be... I mean, there was some... Like, this paranoia would just come over me. And it was irrational. I knew it was irrational. I could not control it. So that, it was. It freaked me out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I totally forgot. Like, our old house had something going on in it. Mm-hmm. So, like, <laughs> it's so weird. We would wake up at 3.03, which is, like, what everybody says of the hour. And I know everybody says it's really biologically when you wake up. However, we had a weird bedroom up, so our bedroom connected to the office so you had to walk through our bedroom to get to the office so we had like the printer scanner thing and every night at 303 you would wake up for it would, it would kind of come around like the the thunderstorm type thing but it wasn't electrical because it was different things throughout the house that would do this but at first it was the scanner and it would be scanning nothing yeah. you would see the blue light glow like glow through and you're Ugh. like, what the heck is happening? So we unplugged that, right? As sheets come out and they say, boo. I do you like, or a ghost butt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, then the other thing that we had was the air conditioner. We had a walled air conditioner, and it would just increase. You would hear it go, I'm increasing in temperature, like that, that beep, 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 beep. But you'd have to press it. So I don't know how it would go up to like 82.
1: <laughs>
0: and you're like, what is causing this to happen? So we had like weird phenomena that kept happening over the years. I always thought it was the original owner who died in the house. Just kind of saying, hey, I'm here.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And he wants it warmer.
0: Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was definitely like a weird, because you, you, know, you would change it out and like for a couple of years you wouldn't get the thing and have and then would have it again, because we were there for 10 years, but mm. just like weird stuff like that happened
3: there.
2: Mm. Yeah. Okay.
0: So yeah, we decided to do something new. It's, we're going to call it Kill, Chill, and Thrill, so who you would like to off. Who you would like to hang out with, and who you would like to have relations with?
2: Ah, so. okay.
0: <laughs> How about Whoa. you uh, start it off there, Ray?
2: All right. Well, who would I kill from this movie? So it's easy to say Walter Peck because he's kind of an unlikable guy, but I would kill off Slimer.
1: Yeah, so oh buddy! I I
2: do not like Slimer, and I really don't like him in the cartoon either. So really? I I'd kill him off.
1: What about Ecto
2: yeah, I mean, you can still like do Ecto cooler. That's fine.
1: <laughs> you can't without Slimer. He made I, that brand. I, I guess yeah. I, don't,
2: I don't know. He made it. Um, the IP
1: is yeah. yeah. <laughs> dead after that.
2: Uh, chill. Um, I would probably hang out with Egon. He seems like a pretty interesting dude. I mean, it would be kind of dry, but I still think I think it'd be kind of cool. Uh, and then thrill definitely Gozer. Definitely Gozer. Oh my god, she's she's a freak, and you can tell she's a freak. <laughs> and. I'm down with that.
1: <laughs> I like this new segment. This is fun. <laughs> mm. So am I up? I think you're up. Oh yeah. gosh. Okay. Who would I? Who would I kill? Uh, Moranis. I'm sorry. He's got to go. He just annoys me. He's just pretty useless. I mean, we need somebody in that role, but that's probably who I'd wind up killing. Um, who I would chill with? I definitely. I was a toss up actually between Egon or Ray, because. Totally agree with you, Ray. Our Ray, that Egon would be super fun because he's such a nerd, and we are such nerds. And even though I might not understand like fifty percent of what he's saying, I probably understand some of it, and that would be interestingly enough to talk about physics or I don't know, metatherial planes or stuff like that would just be fascinating. But I think I'm gonna side with Ray just because he's so funny and he'd be so sweet. And if you like, if you only had like a half an hour at a party. And you had to choose one guy. I'd probably go with Ray and, like, hang out and have some fun. And then Thrill. Um, <laughs> yikes. Um, it's tough to say. Uh, I already took Ray, so I guess I'd have to go. Slimer. <laughs> That's not right. Um <laughs> gosh i don't I, I guess i'd have to go with bankman i guess i'd go with him just because minus all the uber you know tranquilizer and creepiness stuff on the, let's if we bring it back to the majority of his character i mean you know he's a romantic at heart so there you go
0: all right so for me i think i'd kill the construction guy he turned off the, <laughs>
2: the <Yeah>. power <laughs> supply <poor> guy
0: <laughs> i was like stand out for yourself man you know this is wrong <laughs> For chilling, I was going to choose Winston because I thought oh, he'd yeah, be fun cool. and hang, yeah, like, to hang, so like to go to bar with. Yeah. And then thrilling, I was going to go with Peter Venkman just because he looks like he's the type of person to be like, I have it and you're going to enjoy it. So yeah. I want to see if he has what he says he has.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Jeez. Oh, We're going along for that ride.
2: <laughs> All right, well, it is time to rate the movie. Uh, Only the best movies make it to the top of the hill, and to be the best, they have to perform in three categories. Uh, First is technical composition, which represents how well the movie is made, including script, directing, cinematography, acting, and effects. Uh, Second is impact, which represents how well the movie accomplished its emotional intent. Was it scary? Was it funny? Did it make you question mankind or the nature of your reality? And then finally, enjoyment. That's pretty simple. How much did you enjoy the movie? Would you watch it again? Do you never want to see it again? Now, since we uh, introduced the new segment just before this, we're going to try to to streamline this whole section. So, how about we give all three of our scores together? So, Anne, why don't you give yours?
1: Oh, geez, nothing like being put on the spot there. Thanks, Ray. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) Okay, so really quickly. For technical, I think that this movie had some really good effects. Like I mentioned with the ghost dogs, there were some issues, but I don't think that it attempted to go too far out of the way. And um, some movies, it can't deliver on the effects that it's trying to accomplish. Obviously, we talked about plot and everything else just being really, really great. So I am taking off some points for ghost dogs, and I'm going to give Tech an 8. Impact, I mean, you know, it's scary. It's funny. It's clearly trying to be funny. It's clearly trying to be scary where it's trying to do that think it delivered on all of those. I gave it another eight for that. And enjoyment, obviously enjoyed it immensely. I mean, you're laughing throughout this. You could crack open a Budweiser, get your cheez its, kick back, <laughs> watch this again. For enjoyment, I'm getting an A ten.
2: Okay. Helen.
1: Um so I for technical impact gave it an eight for the same
0: reasons that Anne had chosen. For impact I gave it an eight. I thought that it did a really good job of making me laugh and also having a little bit of scary parts. For Enjoyment, I gave it an 8. I would watch it again, for sure. I just don't know. I mean, it felt like it held up through the years pretty well, minus the Ghost Dogs. But I don't know if I would necessarily say I would have to watch it if it was on the TV. I probably could turn it off and do something else.
2: For Technical, I gave it a 9. I thought it was so funny and so well put together, uh, minus a couple of the sort of effects issues uh, that you mentioned, Anne. For Impact, I gave it a 10. I think it delivered what it was attempting to deliver. I think it was extremely funny. Even in places, I think, where I, I didn't find it funny when I was younger, right? I mean, the, the sort of humor evolved, has evolved as I've gotten older. And almost there are connections between parts of the humor in and part, in different parts of the movie that make it funnier to me now um, than, it, than it did sort of just simply watching it. Uh, And then finally, uh, Enjoyment 10. So I'm a 9, 10, and a 10.
1: All right, awesome. So just cutting straight to the quick of it as we're streamlining these scores. That means, Helen, you rated this movie a solid 8. I'm next in line with this movie at an 8.67. And, Ray, you're at the top with a 9.67. Bringing this movie to a whopping average of 8.78. It's
2: at the top of the hill. It has now eclipsed our previous number one, which was Annabelle at 7.33. I think it deserves it. It's a classic uh, right up there with um, you know, The Exorcist as far as uh, well-known, well-received uh, horror movies, although it's a horror comedy. Uh, so I think that's excellent. All right, well, if you've enjoyed this podcast, help us grow our audience. Rate and review us on iTunes, and please share with your friends and family on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Give us a shout-out to tell us how we're doing or suggest movies to review. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us at hosts.hth at gmail.com. I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards, and on behalf of my co-hosts, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.